0: Welcome to episode two of the newly relaunched English podcast from ESNrote.com. My name is Mark, and I will be taking over the hosting roles for the time being. Joining me today are Maurice and Daniel. Say hello.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Maurice. I'm glad to be back on the podcast
2: today. Yeah, and I'm Daniel, and I'm also glad. In the
0: last episode, we went over the transfer window and discussed all of the new signings for Bayern this season. We had intended to do a bit of a season preview, however, due to some time restrictions and technical difficulties, we kind of missed the window on that. So we're going to instead go ahead and do a little bit of a season review, focusing primarily on the more recent matches. And then we might get into a little bit of a discussion on the Champions League group, some rotational things, midfield groupings, etc. However, I think that's enough of an introduction. So let's move on to uh, the actual content. So, Bayern started the season off very strong against Schalke with an 8-0 victory. Serge Gnabry scored three goals and basically everybody else in the team chipped in. We then had the UEFA Super Cup match with Sevilla, which we won 2-1 thanks to a late Javi Martinez header, which seems to be a tradition at this point. We then faced Hoffenheim and lost 4-1, which was pretty ugly. And then beat Dortmund three to two in the DFL Super Cup with another late goal from Kimmich. And then we played Herta in the Bundesliga and won four to three thanks to Lewandowski scoring four goals. We then had the, our international break and came back from it and played Durin in the DFB Pokal with mostly a rotated team due to all the international players being gone. Chupamotang scored two goals in his first game and Muller added a third. Then we're starting to get back into the more recent games where we played Armenia, Atletico, and Eintracht and looked very good. We dominated those matches 4-0, 4-1, and 5-0. And that's probably where we're going to start getting into the meat of things. So what do you guys think, Maurice?
1: First off, I want to offer you props for your pronouncing "Duren." That is like one of the hardest words to pronounce in the German language, I think. And you you just mastered that one. (laughs) So it's really interesting to see how Bayern has kind of been like this two-faced machine going through the season so far. I mean, after the Frankfurt match, Bayern scored more than three goals in like most of the matches of the season. Like the Frankfurt match was the fifth consecutive with three or more goals up to that point. That was a Bundesliga record of scoring 22 goals through the first five matches. Obviously, Robert Lewandowski being a huge factor there, chipping in 10 goals in just five games which was like, I think, 30 minutes per goal, which is like an insane rate uh, of scoring goals. Like, I did not think it was possible to go one step up from last season, but somehow Lewandowski managed to do just that. And yep, then we kind of hit a little bit of a breaking point um, playing the Moscow match last Tuesday and then the Cologne match this weekend where Bayern just did not look as easy going anymore. And they had really big struggles fighting off both of those teams. And I don't know, is it more due to like all the games being played, like the schedule, do you guys think? Or is it like a tactical flaw in the Bayern game that we kind of saw itself manifest throughout the last few games? What do you think, Daniel?
2: I mean, I do think there are some technical misfortunes or problems, especially against Moscow, Lokomotiv Moscow. If we want to go into detail, like Javi Martinez, I think, was not covering enough space in the second half and so on. But in general, I think it's very much a self-fulfilling prophecy that everybody was kind of agreeing on before the season started that this next season will be very difficult for Bayern and actually difficult for all of these top teams that have many players in the Champions League and the national team and so on. So everybody was basically in agreement that after Bayern not having a summer break, basically, and they basically having to play from August until, like, next August without any major breaks, that this will be problematic and that this will lead to results that would not otherwise have happened. I think we very much saw this most evidently against Hoffenheim. Where Bayern were focusing so much on the game against Sevilla that they almost sacrificed the Hoffenheim game because two days after going for 120 minutes against Sevilla, having to play Hoffenheim, they were totally out of it and... The new squad-rotating players were not there, and yeah, Bayern lost it. And we do kind of see it right now against Cologne and Moscow too, that when the rotation comes in, when players are kind of playing over their limit, I think Kimmich kind of struggling right now. Devandoski had famously missed the entire game against Cologne. Yeah, that's where the problematic things come in, and and why Bayern kind of flip-flop between slaughtering their enemy, beating them up, and kind of barely surviving against weaker sides.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree. I think what we have seen over the last... You mentioned, I think it was the important thing that you mentioned was they are sacrificing games to a certain degree. You mentioned the Hofheim match after Sevilla. And I think that's somewhat true for both the Lokomotiv and Köln matches, even though they're, you know, two consecutive matches. Bayern and Hansi Flick are looking at what we have coming up against Salzburg and more importantly, Dortmund at the next weekend. And I think given how much time players have already played this season and I don't know if you guys agree with this, but to me, a lot of them are starting to look tired. Like, not so much Lewandowski necessarily. Muller looks actually it's pretty energetic, but I think of the midfield, I think Kimmich and Goretzka at times have looked just exhausted and some of the, you know, wingers, especially, you know, Sane and Nabri missed some time, obviously, but, you know, Coman, you know, doesn't necessarily have the best track record of keeping fit and some of the backups, I think, are still kind of getting used to the system and all of that now. It just seems to me like I think we're going to have games kind of throughout the season that are going to look as ugly as, the last two matches have, and then we're going to have games where we have everybody available and everybody's up for the match and people are going to come in and we're going to dominate. Or And then there's going to be times where we play like we did against Hoffenheim and just get killed. So it's going to be interesting to see how Hansi Flick can manage these type of situations.
1: I mean, it has been within the realm of speculation for quite a while now on how Flick's super intensive style of play will kind of like factor in in the long run. And I think we're seeing the first signs that it is not really all that sustainable for the team to keep up throughout the entire season, especially the two players that you've mentioned before. Uh, Goretzka and Kimmich are both asked to perform in a little bit of a different role than they had to in the past. I mean, Kimmich was a regular for i mean so many years now uh he missed actually two games earlier this year and this was the first time he's missed consecutive matches at Bayern in like ever since his first season so like in the last 5 years he never missed two matches in a row but but still he's playing in a really different situation now like the game just it, like it goes so much more through him and he's like the player who has to provide all of the creativity. He has to be alert all time. And that just has a way higher level of tear on him, uh, I think. And that might be why we see him a little bit exhausted. And then yesterday in the game against Cologne, it was just so obvious that the Bayern players just had not the same level of attention that they used to. There were a lot of like touches that looked rough, where the ball like jumped from their feet for like a few feet. Yeah, the passing game was not really on point, and that's just what might happen. And it's like you said, Mark, there will be games where the team just rallies and they decide that they're gonna trash an opponent, and Bayern is absolutely capable of probably trashing most opponents at this point that are going to face them but yeah there are also going to be those matches like the cologne and the moscow match where it's clear from the beginning that the team is trying to take a little bit more relaxed approach they're trying to regenerate the batteries a little bit and yeah it'll be a long season and you kind of have to as a player to like take off A few of those games and in the end they won both of those games and that's all that matters because I mean two weeks from now nobody will remember the Moscow or the Cologne match because it was a win that was what's needed to win the Bundesliga and to advance in the group stage so mission accomplished kind of
0: Yeah, I was going to say one thing that kind of struck out to me is like when Byron were looking a little bit shaky in both of those matches towards the end, it did strike me that Kimmich kind of picked it up a little bit, though, as well. You know, like he seems to be aware that at times he's just going to have to, you know, drag the team by the scruff of the neck and, you know, really just bring them back if if everybody else is not doing it. But Daniel, what are your thoughts?
2: I mean, Kimmich is basically very much becoming a big game player, a leader of the team. I mean, not becoming. He has been that. He is that now. He is basically a playing legend. Like I see no other way of him ending his Bayern career without reaching somewhat legendary status amongst the best whoever did it for the club. But yeah, he also very much needs his breaks. He always covers much distance when he's playing on right-back position, but he's also doing basically the same thing and even more so when in midfield. Like I think last year against Dortmund, he created a new record, I think, with the most amount of distance he covered, and that's only one game. And he does this week after week after week. So it's not any surprise that after After all the Bayern games he played, after having to play 90 minutes for Germany and everything, that he will need his breaks, that he will struggle against Moscow. But then, in the end, he'll still pick it up, score the winner, because he's just that player. I think all this talk about Bayern right now very much reminds me a bit of the talk of Karl-Ancelotti's Bayern, when there was almost a mystifying nature that people talk, yeah, they're not that good right now, but Ancelotti has this magical power of switching it up. When the big games come through, there will be a mental switch, and then they were playing fantastic football. They were talking that much about this. It was almost it was bound to fail, and it did fail in the end. I do think that right now we have basically an almost Switch-like situation where they switch between being de facto the best team on the planet and kind of surviving barely. But the main difference between those times with Ancelotti and other coaches where they struggled, where they had to switch it up all the time, is that Bayern right now don't play consecutively bad for, like, weeks after weeks after weeks, and then, like, once every two months, they're having, like, one standout performance against the Dortmund. But it's, like, one game of a break, two games of a break, and then next week, they're at it again. So you don't have any doubt. Like, I don't watch the game against Cologne yesterday and think, whoa, we're struggling. Like, the championship this year, Champions League title, that's going to be rough. I'm watching it and saying like, yeah, they're playing not well. They're struggling, but they'll be fine in a week. Yeah,
0: I think the big difference is, you know, number one, the amount of rotation there with, you know, like in the cold match, there were six changes to either of the previous two matches, whichever one you want to do. And while, you know, you bring in Nabri and Sané, they have not had regular time in you know, what, almost three or four weeks now for Nabri and Sané a little bit longer than that. So they're still playing their way back into, you know, game shape and condition. Whenever you put in new players and no matter how comfortable and how much how well they know each other there's going to be little issues that pop up you know people are going to make passes that they are used to you know another player being ready for but these players are not and movements and those type of things just get adjusted and it's not as easy as it looks they will figure it out you know that's the other thing is you have to remember how many of these people are new too you know like how much time do you know Thomas Muller and Choppel Motang have playing together not that much so you know it's going to take time for them to get used to playing with one another, even though they'll probably never have the type of link that, you know, Mueller and Lewandowski and those type of players do. But I think all that stuff will improve. One thing I wanted to say, though, is going back to Kimmich just briefly. Another issue, I think, is the fact that there really is no support system for Kimmich at this point. Until, you know, Flick gets comfortable with having Roca step into that type of position, which clearly he is not at this point. Kimmich, if he's missing in a match, we are you're basically looking at no real structure in the build-up play out of the midfield, and that's a huge problem. And Goretzka's amazingly almost become nearly as you know unmissable as Kimmich because he does things that neither Tolisso nor Martinez or the rest of them actually are very capable of doing either. And so it, it'll be interesting to see how he can work with the midfield and you know try and ease some of that burden on them throughout the season without really, you know, overexpending them. Maurice, what do you
1: think? No, that is for the most part a really accurate assessment. I think Flick has clearly shown that he does not think that Mark Rocker is on the level that... he needs just yet. I mean, and that is basically true to the reason that central midfield is just way harder to play than any other position on the pitch, just it's because it's so central to the whole builder play. So it takes a while to adapt to the special needs that Flick has for central midfielders and the special way of playing that he wants to implement that he wants to see from his central midfielder. So while Mark Rocca is not able to fill that role, it is really hard for him to replace Kimmich And I mean we've seen a game where actually Goretzka and Tolisso played together and despite my fears it didn't actually look all that bad they kind of managed to divide the workload amongst each other and it worked amazingly it worked better than yesterday seeing Kimmich and Martinez play together and for me the main reason for yesterday's or like for the game against Cologne why it did not work out was that due to the fact that Martinez is not the strongest player in build-up and that is I think even a nice way of putting it um <laughs> Kimmich had to take over a lot of those resp- responsibilities, but then he was lacking his partner in midfield who would like actually be the link between the offense and the defense and be like that link into the final third of the of the pitch. And he really lacked that player. And normally Goretzka is a player because he just covers so much ground throughout a match. He's just like trying to be everywhere on the pitch throughout the match. And that was really missing in the Cologne match. And that's why I think they struggled to well, create any chances whatsoever. Yeah, that is also why Goretzka is so essential. And I think Tolisso can somewhat compensate that. But if he's also missing from the match and from the lineup, then Bayern is into really big trouble right now. Because without Kimmich, they're lacking like the build-up play at all and if Goretzka or Tuliso are missing then they're missing this link to like the strikers and to like the forwards because obviously Müller is playing in a really advanced role up the pitch and he's not dropping back as much as a Goretzka to pick up the ball in midfield and I mean honestly we've even seen Lewandowski do that in the past really often where he Especially this season and also last season, he just drops really, really far back in the pitch and tries to be this extra place where the ball can go, like this extra player that can receive balls and pass them on into the next third. Without Goretzka and Lewandowski yesterday in the match, that's why I think it got as ugly as it ended up being.
2: Yeah, Javi Martinez, like, I know everybody's going to come with pitch marks at me, but Javi Martinez is not a midfielder in the year 2020. Like, I'm sorry, he's a center back. When he's playing in midfield, he very much struggles with basically passing, most fundamental passing, and against Lokomotiv, he even struggled defensively. I think Ray Martinez can be an effective midfielder when he comes on as a joker. In specific matches, like if Sevilla was countering, then you can bring on a Martinez and close up the ranks. Against Dortmund, when Dortmund is starting to dominate, you can bring on a Martinez and break up their attack. And that makes sense. But in general, especially against sides that are not very much attacking, Ray Martinez just should not really be playing midfield. In regards to the partnership between Goretzka and Toulouseau, I was very much surprised. I'm very much surprised by Toulouseau in general this season, because I had basically all but written him off. Or even have to say, I was never that big of a fan of his. I didn't really understand his signing back then, especially with Goretzka looming and then Goretzka coming in and so on. And Tourisso struggled the last two years, especially because he basically missed a whole year with injuries. But especially with his passing and his long passing with long balls sometimes crossing, he very much surprised me this year, or is surprising me this year. In a game against Bielefeld, he was playing wonderfully with Goretzka. It was a very effective partnership. I was writing, watching this game, I was writing like the match report, and we were already joking in our chat that, wow, it's Goretzka and Toulouseau playing. This is going to be a horrible day. But they did come through and they did play very effectively. Then against Atletico, he was also playing a bit of a different game because uh, Kimmich was playing but he was also very much having a very good game with the ball and not only without the ball. So Flick very much almost revitalized Corrindon Tolisso's technical ball-playing abilities.
0: Yeah, that I think all makes sense. I think one thing that I never question with Tolisso is I he does seem like someone who tries to work on his game and has tried to improve and has done so reasonably well. And unfortunately, those injuries that you mentioned, I think have... St- derailed him tremendously at times and it's always hard for players to you know work their way back into game shape but especially when you have a change of manner manager in the meantime and how what you know how Hansi Flick expects Taliso to play versus Nico Kovac is obviously very different so you know when you're missing an entire season and you see Goretzka who as you said is a very similar player to you. It can't be easy to, you know, then just immediately flip that switch and be like, oh, I'm going to start playing more like this or, you know, trying to figure out what your place is exactly in that midfield pairing. So, along those lines, we're, I think maybe it's a good time to start talking about center back since we just went on a little bit of a run on Javi Martinez. And it's been a bit of an interesting season so far with, you know, who is going to be the starter. You know, we have, Alaba seems like the first choice. Sula appears to have taken over that second choice in, you know, big games. But Boateng is still getting a lot of playing time. Hernandez is probably stuck as a left back, at least until Alphonse Davies comes back and probably looked like he was the preferred option there at the moment. Anyways, Pavard's still definitely our right back. What do you guys think is our best pairing? Are we just going to continue to rotate all season, or you know, what do you? How do you see that going, Daniel?
2: I do very much believe that we will be seeing rotation from now until the end of this season, until the end of last season, and next season, and so on, because we have way too many center backs to not rotate. It would be absurd to be playing with the same centre backs when we have so many very good centre backs right now. When it comes to the preferred lineup, I think Flick almost got lucky in a very unfortunate situation with the Davies injury, because it was looking like he would be having to decide between his should be defensive leader, David Alaba, and Alfonso Davies, because Lucas Hernandez was just playing that good. Because Hernandez, in my opinion, has been by far the best defensive player of the season right now. You're absolutely in a situation where you can't drop him. And now with Davies injured, there's also not really a real scenario where you can drop him. Like we saw it against Cologne. He dropped Alaba and Hernandez and then he had to reinvent Bonussara on the left back, and yeah, that's not a that was not a very good solution.
1: Yeah. I I have to agree in your assessment, Daniel, to be honest. Lucas Hernandez is the only defender so far that I've really liked this season. Like you said, you said he's the best defensive player. And I said that is not really a tall order. Because I have to say that not a single other defender has so far really stood out to me. They all seem just a little bit off their game so far. And that is especially true for David Alaba, who I don't really know the reason for that. And I don't know how much like the contract stuff is like, I don't know, affecting him there. But he's been off of his game in so many ways. He's been prone to mistakes throughout the entire campaign so far. And I just I just don't like the way he looks on the pitch. And also Boateng and Sule. I mean, Boateng, who's had a really fantastic last few games last season. And then Sule, who kind of came back in those final matches of the Champions League and looked, looked pretty good. But... Yeah, they just seem, they don't really seem on top of their game at the moment. Sule yesterday against Cologne, obviously having a little bit of a blunder where he, yeah, where he was the reason why why the Cologne player was, was onside and not offside. And that's just like the little things that keep on adding up. And they have been adding up quite a bunch in the last few games where opponents have over and over been able to yeah exploit the weaknesses in Bayern's defense and actually kind of create really good chances against Bayern and against Manuel Neuer and I mean Neuer has saved a bunch of good shots and opponents have been missing a lot of other good opportunities and yeah I, I don't know so if we're talking about the best the best back four right now I mean I would probably still go with Pavard, Boateng and then if Davis gets back, I mean, I would probably even get Hernandez into, into the center back role uh, and I'd put Davis on the wing, which is a really unlikely scenario. So I would opt for Hernandez on the left back position and then Alaba as the left center back.
0: So you're going Pavard, Hernandez, Davies, and Alaba? Is Did I get that right? All those left foot defender no, would, people would are hate. Go- paid-
1: no, 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 no. <laughs> I would, I would go, I would go, I would go. Hernandez, Alaba, Boateng, and okay. then, and then Pavard. Sorry, I misunderstood. But, but like, I did. Go yeah, ahead. sorry, but I, I, think we're just gonna see a lot of different formations throughout the entire season because it's like Daniel said, we have a lot of players who are like around the same level. Um, and it just makes sense to to switch them out, uh, depending on who's, who's on top of his game at the moment and who's healthy. And we cannot forget that we're getting also back a Nianzu starting next year. And he'll just be another player who can also be thrown in at, at any time, I think.
2: This month I would wager with Nianzu. Not next year.
1: Oh, okay. That is that is even better than I. I thought he was he was out longer, but yeah. I also don't know. So that is actually good news. I think. Well, I'm
2: pretty sure that at the latest in December he should be fitting. Yeah, fit I think in he had started started training
0: on field at least. I'm not sure with ball or not, but definitely he. There were pictures of him, you know, out running and stuff like that a couple of weeks ago. I think even so.
2: I mean, it's possible that they will give him a few minutes in the under twenty threes mm-hmm. in the start. But he should be an option at least in the very near future. So
1: do you guys agree with my rant on David Oliva or am I like kinda of a little bit over the top there?
0: No, I, I completely agree personally. I think it has maybe gotten a little bit better in the last game or two. Um, but I think overall, especially the first few matches that he played, I mean he was just not good. Defensively, he was I felt like he was out of position a lot. He was getting beat a lot. His passing was just, I felt like, all over the place. He wasn't really making the, you know, I think a lot of us had kind of praised him for starting to make those long, you know, over-the-top passes that Boateng does so well in in last season. And that just has seemed to disappear, really. I I don't know where that went to. But yeah, I, I don't think that's unfair at all. And it's not to say that he can't get back to those levels. Obviously, he is very capable, you know, as a player. But I don't know, like you said, I don't know if it's the contracts, if it's just he's worn out from last season. I mean, that's certainly a possibility as well. But something definitely appears to have at least been off with him most of the season so far.
2: I very much agree with your ranch on David Alaba, or David Alaba, I think with the exception of the game against Eintracht Frankfurt, where Frankfurt were also not very much attacking, and where I think his partner, Jerome Boateng, was better than Alaba, he was basically consistently atrocious. I think he was horrible in almost every game we played, which is almost a an achievement on its own. Like Even against Bielefeld, where Bielefeld had like three attacks, where Bayern was playing astonishingly well, there was that one moment in the first half where Bayern were already leading two up, two zero, where David Alaba just gets beat in a one-on-one situation and the player is through on Neuer. And if it's a better player than it, it was the Bielefeld player, then it's very likely a goal against Bayern. And these are the little situation that we see with Alaba almost every single game. Almost every single yeah. game he's playing. And I think there's only one reason why Hansi Flick has not dropped him yet and that is that he should be the defensive leader. He should be the one that talks to the other players that dictates where the other players are going who's very much this almost the shadow cap on the pitch. like The role that Thomas Müller is having right now from the attacking position, David Alaba should be that for the team from the defensive side. And he was that last season, where he, I think, was world-class. Like To me, in my opinion, David Alaba was the second-best centre-back of the season in the world last year. But this year, it's it was not good. It was not good at all. Yeah. The one thing I do actually have an objection against the point that you made, Maurice, is that I very much don't really understand where the whole problem with Jerome Boateng season is coming from. He didn't get that many minutes up to this point, which kind of surprises me. But when he's playing, he always impresses me. Like There was this one game, of course, against Hoffenheim, where I think he was quite poor. But like every centre-back of us was having the one, like you could say, Hoffenheim game, where he was having a bad game. But I think he's always good against Frankfurt. He was f- fantastic. Yesterday, I liked him. I, I, I almost very much rate him. And I don't see him that far off his, of the performances he was having last year. So I don't really know where the whole Boateng's kind of not having that well of a season thing is really coming from.
1: I mean, I kind of have to say that, that yesterday, I mean, yesterday's match against Cologne is just stuck in my head a little bit too much, maybe. So it's, it might be a case of like recency bias where he just, I mean, yesterday he just had like those four passes, like those long balls and they just ended up in the middle of nowhere. And like after the second or third one, I was just like, Annoyed, like yelling at my television, like "Stop playing that ball! It's not going to get you anywhere." Um, and <laughs> I mean, it's it's not all his fault, but uh, yeah, no. So it's it's uh, it's interesting that that I'm not that off with with my with my Alba assessment, at least though. So, but but one thing that we have seen throughout the last few games that we've even seen starting last season, and where I'm really interested just to get your take on, is those balls behind our back four, like those long balls behind our back four, are killed. Killing us and they have been killing us for a while. We saw, I mean, even Barcelona had some really good chances against us in that game that ended up like this eight, memorable 8 2 trashing of Barcelona. But ever since then, we've just been like really unstable if opponents play counter And I don't know, there is no easy fix, obviously, because otherwise we would have implemented it yet. But is that going to be our Achilles heel for the rest of the season? What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think no matter what, it is going to be, and realistically, I don't feel like this is a new thing. I mean, since the Pep era, really, I feel like counterattacking has been our Achilles heel because we play a high line. We have played a high line with the exception of maybe Kovac at times. Well, probably Kovac at times. But, you know, it, it leaves us vulnerable at the back when our center backs and, you know, our wing backs especially are pushed so far up. And I think last year it worked out rather well because Davies just was so fast. and it there was less pressure with Davies on the left wing for Pavard to push up quite as much to provide offensive support there. And at least that's my opinion. And when so when we have three guys, you know, kind of at the back, you have at least two of those guys are, you know, really more focused on, making sure people don't get behind him creates a bit of a situation where there's less chance of someone getting there. And then also you have Davies who can almost make up for any defensive lapses that way. But with the back four that we have now without Davies, we don't have that player that can just, you know, turn on the turbo and, you know, go catch anyone in the world. So, you know, when Alibo or, you know, Sula or Boateng if they make a mistake or lose a ball or you know just lose their man it really then is pretty much on Neuer to come up with a miraculous play in my opinion but what do you think Daniel
2: I think Bayern's philosophy under Hansi Flick is very much to say screw it we're all scoring everybody like against Barcelona I'm not even sure they were coming into this game thinking that they would not get a goal from Barcelona I think they were just like, the mindset is basically the entire time. Yeah, we're going to get one or two goals in behind, but like it doesn't matter because we're going to score four. We're going to score five. And that's very much the philosophy of Hansi Flick, that this trust in the attack is so high that they believe that they will come out alive. In general, a high line can only really work when everybody is on it, when everybody is focused, when everybody is pressing when everybody is making the runs that you have to make in order to live with this high line. Because if one player is not having this, or half of the players are not doing the runs and not pressing that much, then you have a situation where some players of the opponent, that, 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 that there is no pressure on some players of the opponent. And then you will get these moments where one ball behind your midfield will come will be killing you and I think I think with this problem we're circling back to, to the discussion we were having at the at the start of the soul, that when some players are just not that focused as they were last year when last year the focus was okay we're gonna win every game in the Bundesliga then it's a break then we're gonna win everything in the Champions League if now the focus is, wow, well, wow, well, man, I'm really fatigued right now, but now I have to play against this Bielefeld, now I have to play against Moscow, I have to play against Frankfurt, and I really don't have the the power anymore, that you will get these problematic moments. I think it's just in the nature of this game. On the flip side, however, you will also get games like Atletico Madrid where suddenly everything does click again. And when everybody was making the runs, as they were against Atletico you were having a match where basically everybody was having a fantastic game, and no, and almost no chance was there for the opponent, because everybody was on it, everybody wanted it, and everybody was focused.
0: Yeah, I, I think that all makes sense, Maurice.
1: Now that is, I mean, that is a good point. But I mean, my only counter argument would be that in the Moscow match, we saw how that could go wrong. Because I mean, Moscow had like five instances where they just got through, and it ended up being a big chance. Uh, they score. It is all tied. I mean, if Kimmich fails to fails to score on that, on that kind of long-range goal, you lose a few a couple of points there. Maybe Moscow even comes back after that 2-1 goal by Kimmich. There were some chances for that, and I don't actually know how often you can come back like that, but no, it, it makes sense, and just outgunning the opponent, we just might have to get used to that because, I mean... Offensively, the team is well able to outgun any opponent. I guess at this point.
2: Yeah, but even with the Moscow match, the only reason why Moscow could come back the game at all was because Bayern was so terrible in front of the goal. That like, Komar was through, was having a clear shot like six meters in front of goal, and he missed. That has to be the second. You have to be two up then. Kimmich had a shot from like five meters in front of the goal. If that one goes through, you lead with two nothing and then the opponent can score and you can still be like, well, yeah, but you're not going to score the second one. So even the Moscow match as terrible as it was at times in the second half, it was pretty bad. I agree. Even there, it was a case of failing to convert chances to outgun you.
0: Yeah. I, I think they've had chances in every match. Like it, it's hard for me to remember Hoffenheim at this point, but I feel like even in that match, it's not like they didn't have opportunities to score goals. And so when they're not clinical in front of goal, when they're not, you know, when they're missing wide open chances within the, you know, six yard box, that, that's a problem. And it's hard to cover that no matter how well you player do not play defensively because eventually the other team is going to get a few chances here or there. So if they score on those chances, you start getting in trouble.
2: Amusingly, I think Hoffenheim was the one game, I think all year, that we actually did not have a single chance with the exception of Kimmich's almost goal. wonder goal. Yeah. That was just... There was. Just I nothing. couldn't
0: remember it. Like I said, it's been too long. <laughs> yeah, I know, but, I th- but
2: I'm actually quite convinced that there was really... There was nothing. There, there. probably weren't. <laughs>
0: Real quick, I I just want your opinion. This could just be size bias on my part, but going back to Sula a bit, my impression is that especially recently, he hasn't been that bad. I feel like he's always had these like weird like one or two moments in games where he just does something that is bad. You know what I mean? Like he just has these little slips or mistakes that just look terrible and it causes problems. But I feel like a lot of the issues in these games have actually been caused more by Alaba and him trying to get back and cover for people. I mean, the goal yesterday is a different matter. I don't really have any type of, you know, sympathy for someone who doesn't run as quickly as they can back to prevent, you know, offsides and stuff like that. But I I, I don't think my impression was not necessarily that he was quite to the level that we expected him to be at pre-injury, but he wasn't that far off of it really yet either. What do you guys think?
2: I think Zula was is having a very much better season than Araba. Well, with Zula, it's just... You have to accept two things. First, he's still a rather young and inexperienced defender. And second, that he did lose like almost a year with injuries. Zula very much has the talent to be a world-class centre-back, but he's not there just yet. And you see this in, in kind of lapses where he does these very weird decisions like... You can see his best not in a Bayern this season but for a German national team against Ukraine. Ukraine was, was having a, a rather quiet game in front of goal, but then Zuda basically gifts them a penalty out of nowhere with a very weird decision to come in to do a slight tackle, completely misses it, gives them the penalty, and that's just these things that will happen with Zuda. In general, yeah. I don't think he's having a bad season. I think he's not having as good of a season as Jerome Boateng, which is why I'm a bit surprised that... He was playing against Bielefeld and against Atletico Madrid, and he wasn't like substituted for Boateng. In general, yeah, it's he's having a fine enough season. Alaba's like, the real problem there, in my opinion. Yeah,
0: I think I might be on the recency bias with Boateng's game yesterday, because I kind of had him in kind of a little on par. Like, I feel like both of them are prone to a few mistakes here or there. Boateng... You're probably right. Gets the edge because of his passing ability, which is something that Sula doesn't really bring. But so, in any case, how about we uh, do a little quick rundown on what we think of our new signing so far? Each pick one who we think has really stood out, or maybe is not stood out. Whatever you think. I think, uh, Maurice.
1: Yeah. So let me start talking about Lee Rosenay. I mean, it is. not really like a thorough analysis because we haven't seen him play a lot of games just because of his injury levels. He got injured in the Hoffenheim match, if I'm not mistaken. And then he basically missed all the games up until the cologne match yesterday so the first match he played against schalke it was kind of like this classic game of a byron signing like a marquee signing where he just stood out in so many ways him and Gnabry just formed this crazily good partnership and i mean they've been playing together before for the national team so maybe that should not have come as such a big surprise but he looked kind of as good as we all hope for yeah, so maybe a lot of that was due to Schalke being really, really bad, and we we won't know for sure until Sene gets to play a couple more games. Now, uh, I think in the game against Cologne, we just witnessed yesterday he was he put in a really, really bad performance. But I don't want to put too much weight on that, just because, well, he's just come back from injury, and it'll take some time for him to come back to like his full strength. But I really did not like his outing yesterday. He seemed off in a lot of ways. But also, like I said, he he was thrown into a team that had six substitutions. And it is always hard for an for individual player who comes new into that team to stand out in such a match. So I guess we just have to wait and see a little bit with him. For right now, I don't think he'll be the first pick for the Dortmund game. Just because Coleman and Gnabry are clearly ahead of him at this point. So, yeah, it's been a mixed bag so far for Sonny.
2: Yeah, I agree. Lira Sonny is kind of a point of worry for me, to be completely honest. I think if you've previously missed a whole season and you start that new season with almost immediately getting injured again, you really run the risk of getting into, like, Lucas Hernandez territory, where you just maneuver yourself from one injury to the next, never fully recovering, never quite reaching your physical peak. And then... Before long you might be looking back on the season realizing wow, I basically missed the entire year with constantly batting all those injuries. So definitely think it'll be vital for Bayern to really allow Sane to fully recover, to not overplay him, so then hopefully in the Rückrunde we can fully count on a hundred percent fit Sane. The next signing, or rather loan, was a good old French Douglas Costa. And yeah, what can you say about Costa? I mean, many things change, but I think one thing is for certain, Douglas Costa will never change, ever. He very much still is the Douglas Costa to the bone, having one totally world-class scene and then like 10 seconds later, he'll do the most baffling thing you could imagine. And you're like left sitting on the couch wondering, like, what the hell did did he actually want to do there? Now, just like everybody else, he had his debut against Düren, where he naturally was better than any Düren player. He had a nice assist there and some cool scenes, but really, I think we can all agree that his true debut came against Frankfurt. And that was a fascinating deal, actually, because the game started with Kumon and Costa not playing inverse. So Kumon was playing on the right and Costa on the left. And the end result of that was basically the Kumon Costa crossing festival for like the first half an hour. Because sure, Kumon and Costa handily beat their respective men in the one-on-ones, but then when the time came to cross, usually blind balls into the middle followed. Now Kumon had a few ideas on his own, but Costa was the real kicker here. He was really frustrating. And I think Flick might have realized that himself, because after a certain point he switched them to with each other, and that really benefited both of them really forced Costa to make rational decisions, to think before he acts, to not just do Hail Mary crosses, to really put his head up before he crosses, to scan the field where his teammates are. The resulting assist for Robert Lewandowski's third goal with Costa's outside, off his boot, was not a coincidence here. It was a really beautiful sequence of play. So all in all, I really hope Flick has learned from that game and in the future will play him inverse. So you know, forcing him to play intelligently and then I think... Costa can be a valuable tool in Bayern's arsenal.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think, I agree with you. I think, you know, it's, uh, it's important to remember these guys are, you know, Sané has a different story, but Costa is not expected to be, you know, producing the way that Nabri or Sané or even Coman is at this point. And so, you know. I think you bring him in knowing that, you know, you're not getting a guy who is going to score 15 goals a year. I think you know what you're getting. And so, you know, so far, it, like you said, it seems like a pretty regular Douglas Costa type of year. And we'll see how it goes. You got anything to say, Maurice? You know, I have
1: to agree, um, and especially the last point you made is the most important one. Nobody is expecting Duplas Costa to be this crazy game changer in big matches. That is a role that that is like a standard that we have to set for the likes of Gnabry and Sané, and that's where we have to judge those players. And we just have to keep in mind that there are different levels of expectations that we need to that we need to put out there for different players.
0: All right. Well. So let's move on to Chopo Motang. Personally, I, you know, he's played in what three matches now, I think is a subs one time. And he started off against Durin and the last match against Clone. The Durin match, it is what it is. You know, it's, uh, are they fifth tier side? I, I, I forget. But in any yeah, case,
2: fifth-tier.
0: yeah, I, I, I Byron's, under 23 side should have a decent chance of beating Duran, So (laughs) I think, you know, you have to kind of take that for a great assault. He scored two goals. Great. To be honest, no one else looked particularly good in that match. And so those two goals, eh, you know, at least it's encouraging that he can step up in when he needs to in some capacity. The substitutions, I don't think he's really done a whole lot, but, you know, I don't think he's also had a lot of minutes in those appearances. And so we're probably mostly judging this past Cullen match. Personally, I mean, he wasn't great. I I think there were a few chances he had where he had a few chances to maybe either score or, you know, get on the end of a ball and set someone else up. And it didn't really come off. I, I think some of that is getting used to the players that he's playing with, like I've mentioned in the past. I think some of that is just he's not Robert Lewandowski and we can't have those expectations for him that, you know, there's a reason why he's a backup and there's a reason why we got him for free from PSG. And, you know, I do think that he, I still like the fact that I think he brings energy to the team a lot of times. And I think, you know, I I like the variability that he offers the front for when he is playing as a striker where... You know, it allows it still allows Mueller to kind of do what he wants to do because Chopamotoe can go back and cover that a little bit. So, you know, I think jury's still out a little bit, but you know, I'm still a fan of the signing so far. But Maurice Daniel, any thoughts?
1: I mean, to me, again, the yesterday's match comes into mind, and that it might be a little bit of recency bias again. Uh, I did not particularly care for him in yesterday's match. I thought he. He lacked most of the stuff that makes Robert Lewandowski just a great striker, and it is just unbelievably unfair to compare him to Robert Lewandowski, just because, well, Lewandowski is obviously the best striker in the world right now, <laughs> but he just missed so much of what we kind of need from a striker. Like, when Chipo moting was subbed off and Cerxy was subbed back in, there was not a notable change in the game whatsoever. Uh, and I think that is a bad sign for for uh, Chupomoting. He had like this one opportunity in front of the goal where basically Cologne gave him the ball like at the box, and there should like Chibamoteng should have been able to make anything out of that, like at least at least get off a shot. Like I mean. Just make it hit the 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 outside of the net even, and he did not manage to do that. And I don't know. I'm I'm not a hundred percent yet on the signing, just because it takes away time from from Xerxes. And so far, at least, he has not shown that that is like yeah that, that that is necessarily a good thing.
2: Yeah, I very much agree with your point that the jury's still out because there's really nothing to say. Again, the game yesterday against Cologne was. Well, it was bad, full stop. And you really can't say anything more beyond that. It says something that Zirkze, who the day before Anzi Flick was saying, basically in the press, that, yeah, he's just not trying that much right now. It's It says a lot that that Chupomoting's performance pushed Hansi Flick to substitute Joshua Zirkze into the match. And it doesn't say, uh, it doesn't speak good things about Moting. But I don't want to be too harsh on Drupamoteng. The game was kind of dead. Everybody wanted it to be over. So whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think, I think it's hard to judge one player based on yesterday's match, given how bad literally everyone was. And that's kind of why I'm just not ready to kill him yet, because I just don't think anyone was particularly good. And when no one's good and you have that many changes, I, it seems inevitable to me that it's going to be hard for anyone to really stand out. And you know, you Nabri probably was the best offensive player, but it was mostly individual skill from his A lucky, you know, he headed onto someone's hand for, you know, the first goal and then just individual skill on the second goal. So uh, there really wasn't a whole lot to say about anyone in the team yesterday. No.
2: <laughs> I think we can basically all agree that the best attacking player of the season who is not Thomas Moulin, Robert Lewandowski, is Kingsley Coman, And all the other players that we talked about, Lior Sané, Douglas Costa and they still have to show that they can come into the team.
0: Agreed. All right, so the last player is Bunasar. I remember his name this time, so people can be happy about that. <laughs> he has played a fair amount, actually, already. He um, started yesterday, as we mentioned, on the left, which was unusual. But he's also played several games on the right, filling in for Pavard and giving him a bit of a rest. Maurice, do you want to start off on this one?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean... So far, we can say that he has a good right foot and not so much of a left foot. I think that became evident by the game yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> You're really good. I know
0: loser, that is the inside people
1: want to listen to or want to hear when they tune into the Road podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they keep coming back. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm 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 kidding. I think so far, um, the games that I've seen from him, he's been exactly what has been asked of him he's been a kind of a solid backup the first game he played he was like it almost seemed like he was nervous and he was struggling to find his role in that back four but other than that it is honestly I have to say out of the people that we signed so far and I'm gonna leave I'm gonna leave Sane out for that one but out of the other ones he's the transfer that I've liked the most so far in the minutes that he's played at least to me he's not been a significant drop-off from the Paval that we've seen this season. I mean, compared to the yet last season, there is a notable drop-off. But like this season so far, I kind of like him. He could have some more offensive punch. And I mean, as a player who, who started out his career as an offensive winger, you would have liked him to have a little bit more of that offensive punch. He doesn't have that quite in him, or we at least haven't seen that yet but but yeah it's it's interesting the na- dynamic also with Hernandez playing in the back four as a left back he's obviously not as offensive minded as an Alfonso Davis and so that gives Sar more opportunities to go and and play a little bit more on offense and yeah like i said he has not shown yet that he is well he's obviously not Alfonso Davis but um he again another really hot take there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just dropping know, these dimes on, <laughs> Um No, so 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 like I said, I I kind of like him. He's done most of what has been asked of him so far, but he has not faced a huge challenge yet either.
0: Um, I can actually agree. I was expecting to get more negative feedback on this one, but that's why we have Daniel I, on the I mean, pod. Personally, like, is he, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just waiting to get to him. Um, I don't hate him but, either. Yeah, no, I, I, I think he he is very much a reasonably decent backup right back. I, I, I don't think you know is he great? No, but did anyone expect him to be great? I don't think so. You know, like he doesn't like Marie said. I, I think some of us, especially he's actually pretty fast and quick. I would, I think some of us. Or at least I probably had hoped for a little bit more offensively from him. But at the same time, you know, he has done a reasonably good job defensively. And therefore, I I am satisfied. Like you said, I don't think there's a tremendous drop off from what we've seen between him and Pavard. It's you can tell the difference, but it's not. So much that you know against Bundesliga sides and some of the weaker sides in Europe, it's not like we're going to really. It's not going to crush the team to not have Pavard in instead of Sar. So Daniel, you can go ahead and shut us
2: all down. <laughs> why do you? Why do you all think that I hate him? Like,
0: well, you you were very down on the signing. <laughs> the uh,
2: uh, yeah, okay, that makes so. sense. I mean, Saar's kind of weird to me because whenever he's playing, I'm reading all this negative feedback like on twitter like on from media outlets and sh- like even from all Mies and Roo team and i kind of don't really see that kind of don't really <laughs> kind of don't really see what the whole problem is like by the
0: way that is exactly why i was expecting one of the two of you to go on a bash fest because i i, I agree but in any case go ahead
2: <laughs> yeah i mean i don't really know what people are seeing with him like I think Saar, What I really like about him is his courage right now, and I hope the media and the team or some or nobody will break this courage because he really he gets the ball and he doesn't just play this square pass to to Kimmich to to center back, but he does try to cover a few meters to to make runs, and I like that very much. What mm. the problem is that it does, he doesn't really succeed all that much with that, but yeah, it's he was fine. I mean, Sar was fine, and, and I'm interested where his... I see very much two trajectories for his development. I, I very much think there is a possibility that at some point he'll kind of notice, or he'll begin to think too much, that he's just not getting the cross in, that he's not getting the scorer points, and that he'll play more conservatively, and that's kind of will kill his game a bit. Or he can still try to play with courage, to play with his heart out, and he'll, in the end, will be this good, this decent rotating player. But yeah I mean, Sar's kind of yeah. weird right now. I see him, I see I think there's still very much a possibility that he will in the end be like a failure, but for right now, I think it's cool, I think it's cool. I think he's he was good and and they can be really proud that he was getting so much game time like I did not expect to see him at all yesterday. I was very much surprised yeah
0: I just want to say add one little thing to that. Honestly, for all of the, you know, how bad everybody was yesterday, I don't think Saar playing on the left was actually really the problem of that match. Like, yes, there were clear issues with his ability to distribute and pass out of that position, but he also didn't, you know, there were a few moments that were not great, but for the most part, it really wasn't like, you know, that horrible, like in an emergency situation, you could never do it again. I mean, I don't want to see it, but if there's another situation where you basically don't want to play Alaba or Hernandez and Davies is still out, I don't think it's the worst
1: thing in the world. I mean, the worst thing in the world is also tall order, but, but I, 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 I would, <laughs> I would, I would not be looking forward to another game of him playing his left back. I have, I have to be that on like, but it's also really unfair to judge him based on that game. And I think that is why we didn't do that. So we're kind of like putting that game yesterday, a little bit aside. And other than that, um, I think, like we all kind of agreed, he is—he is a decent backup, and he hopefully will be filling in that role for the rest of the season.
0: All right, so uh, we're getting close to the end here. I think we've gone a little bit over what we expected to. Do we want to just give uh, who we might, who we think is going to win next weekend? I mean, Dortmund? Who
1: is going to win? Maurice. By how many ga- goals we're going to win? That is the true question at this point. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> So for for me, the pick Excellent. is a classic match, which will be kind of tightly contested. I think we're going to win 3-2 to in the end. Lewandowski just out-dueling Haaland in that game. So that is my pick, 3-2 to two for Bayern. Close game, open game till the end. We kind of pulled through just because we it more than those young guns at Dortmund.
0: Daniel?
2: I think that Bayern will have really rested themselves against Lokomotiv, against Cologne. And they won't go all out against Salzburg either. And they're saving all this energy for Dortmund. And I think they're going to really... It's not going to be as ugly as it tends to be when Dortmund comes to, to the Allianz Arena. But I still think that Bayern will win the 2 or 3-0. nothing.
0: All right. Well, I kind of am more in line with Daniel here, I think, A lot of what we've seen in the last couple matches is directly related to looking towards that match and knowing that that's a big must-win game. I'm going to go super optimistic and, you know, probably hope for reverse jinx, but uh, I'm going to say five I I just think think they're... (laughs) Yeah, I just think they're going to be up for it, and I, I, I don't doubt that, you know, Holland or someone comes in and nicks a goal for Dortmund, but... I just think that Bayern's going to come out and. I really, mean, forget
1: about forget about really Hummels it. is the um, new is the new goal scorer at Dortmund. <laughs> Something he never <laughs> did at Bayern. He, he never did Bayern. To be a striker. at Bayern. He just <laughs> finds the back of the net again. It's it's amazing. Comeback story of the year.
2: <laughs> I mean, lo- I, I mean, last year he did score. I mean, he. Just, I mean he. He did score a goal in his own net, but he did score. Right. Wow, that is so. a lot of tragedy of nuts, almost. Deservedly um. <laughs> so. I don't know. Well, it's a good place to end, right? I mean, honestly, I mean, Holmes is kind of—I'm kind of baffled that nobody in the media is kind of asking him how he feels about the fact that he left Bayern and they immediately won the Champions League. <laughs> like, like, like—that's his one big goal he had at Bayern that he wanted to—he really wanted to win the Champions League. He really wanted. Th- this big trophy in the national team and big trophy in the in the in club football. He didn't get it. He went uh, he went away, and he, they immediately won the championship. League kind of nobody's like asking him, "Hey, Mats, how do you feel?" That immediately after he left, they wait until the best in the Joins that press room. <laughs> oh my god.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've probably trash mashed Matt Tumbles enough today, um, and I think we can go ahead and wrap up this episode. We've gone on probably a lot longer than we intended. So, Maurice, you want to say goodbye? goodbye,
1: everyone? Thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. As always, feel free to comment on the on the episode itself. Give us your feedback. Also check out our website. We have a bunch of interesting content coming up this week or already posted. So feel free to check that out. Read it. Comment. And yeah, hope to see you back soon on the podcast. And for so long, have a have a great week.
2: Yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to a second episode. You should be able to catch us on Spotify, on iTunes or Apple, i say. On miasalroth.com, we have links to MP3 or MP4 files and a few other formats. We have a bit of a problem to embed things into Podigy, but uh, I think if you really want to listen to us, you can find us. So thank you again.
0: Yep, that's uh, that'll do it. Thanks again. Thanks for everybody listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.